This is Horsin' Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Oh my God! Each week, Mace takes you inside the Denver Broncos. I like it! Players, coaches, insiders. And of course, with a twist only Mace can provide. Buddy Duddies! Now, here's Orange and Blue 760's Andrew Mason. Horsin' Around in the wake of the Broncos' 24 10 win over the Cincinnati Bengals at Paul Brown Stadium, their third consecutive win. They're back to 500 for the first time since early October. I'm Andrew Mason, DenverBroncos.com and Orange and Blue 760. Eventually joined by Justin Simmons, who we caught up with in the locker room after the game. First of all, here is one of my two co-hosts from First and Ten, Ten Orange and Blue 760, Ryan Edwards. Ryan Another victory Sunday. It's actually good to be able to say another in terms of victory Sunday for the Broncos, considering where this team was just a month ago. Oh, 100%. I mean, you're, you're talking about three straight wins and a game they absolutely had to have. I mean, you characterized it, I thought, perfect early in the week as an elimination game for both of these teams. And now the Cincinnati's at seven losses. The Broncos have staved off that. Uh, they remain at six losses on the season and you know you keep hope alive you have uh, some winnable games coming up and the team is playing with a lot of confidence uh, sure it wasn't a perfect win by any stretch but uh, you're you're doing enough and you're beating teams that you should beat and, and ultimately that's what they did today against Cincinnati is it too early to start looking at playoff scenarios yet that's a question I think fans are going to ask themselves it's a question we can get into this week, but I'll ask you right now, is it too early? And remember, I'm saying this as I'm looking at a file on my screen right now that goes through the schedules of the various wildcard playoff contenders. Uh, I don't think it's too early. I think you can, you can sort of watch the schedule a little bit, watch some outcomes. Uh, I mean, today, you know, we were all watching the, uh, the Indianapolis Colts as they kind of ended up uh, falling apart, losing to Jacksonville six nothing. Uh, I think that yeah, that that surprised a lot of people. And uh, so you know, the, the Colts right now via tiebreakers are just ahead of the Broncos, but they sit at six and six. Uh, Miami won today; they're six and six. My Baltimore Ravens won today; they're seven and five. Uh, but again, you know, and, and Tennessee won also. But but ultimately, the Broncos. Um, you know, as, as things start to shift, you know, it's, it's fun to score board watch. It's, it's, it's great to be able and be, be in position to score board watch. I mean, in the end, for the Broncos themselves, it, they just got to keep winning. I mean, one, one way or another, it doesn't really matter to what the other teams. I mean, maybe they do need a little bit of help, uh, but it doesn't matter if they only get to eight wins. If they get to nine wins, maybe they're kind of still in stretch. But at ten wins, uh, their their percentages percentages are so much higher. So for the Broncos, maybe they can score more watch a little bit. But for the, the the remainder of the season, it's mostly about their own performance. Yeah, that's true, and they still probably are one defeat from being in pretty dire straits. Just looking at the tiebreaker circumstances, the fact that the Ravens did get a win at Atlanta on Sunday and they control a tiebreaker with the Broncos. Still, to focus on the Broncos, obviously a tough game with injuries today, but I thought in the end a very resilient performance, and yes, I think some are going to dismiss what the defense did 
while losing Chris Harris Jr. and Derek Wolf, some may dismiss it because it was Jeff Driscoll's first professional start, and he did struggle, and it did look like he was rattled at times. But still, you've just got to go out there against what you're facing and take care of business, and the Broncos managed to do that despite what they were facing personnel-wise, which was pretty daunting at times. Uh, 100%. I mean, and really they did it with the, the fact that the offense took a little bit of time to get on track. I mean, you know, we talked about complementary football at the time with this team. Um, the Broncos had one, two, three, four, four punts and a missed field goal in their first five drives. And that that doesn't exactly sound uh, – sorry, three punts and a missed field goal, but that doesn't exactly sound like complimentary football. That's not exactly how they've been winning games uh, to start the, the, the streak that they're currently on. Now, they scored the touchdown right around the two-minute warning uh, in, this, in the second quarter, and that obviously gave them the lead. The Bengals broke down. They ended up uh, settling for a field goal, so you have 7-3 to at halftime. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in, in the end of this game, I mean, it just sort of felt like they were in control, uh, even though – there were a lot of stats to suggest that it was much closer than it should have been. I mean, it just it didn't really feel like the Cincinnati Bengals were taking advantage of their home field. And part of that was also because of the turnout of the game. And I know you'll want to talk about that. Uh, but, I mean, really, uh, the Broncos offense, it took them a little bit to get on, get on track. And, and honestly, the Broncos haven't been afforded that, really, in these last two games. The, the game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, the game against the Chargers, they didn't really, weren't really afforded the notion of, hey, take, take your time. You know, whatever the offense can figure it out, that's going to be okay. Uh, it's, it's, they've needed to do a little bit better getting off to hotter starts. And luckily in this game, they were playing a subpar opponent that allowed them to take their time, get on track. And once they did, uh, they, they really kind of ran away with this one. Yeah, this was a different this game had a different feel than others because they didn't get off to a good start. In the last few games, maybe they haven't scored on the first possession, but their first quarters have been pretty good. Something we've discussed that while you keep hearing fast start, fast start, fast start, the problem for the Broncos was that mid-game lull. Even in their wins the last couple of weeks, the Chargers score 13 in a row. The Steelers put up 14 in a row late first half, early second half last week. This game, that long, it didn't really take place. Instead, it was the Broncos taking control of things at the mid-game stretch. After that missed field goal by Brandon McManus, they get the ball back, drive to a touchdown. Nice job to take advantage of pretty good field position there, starting that drive at their 45-yard line. And then coming out for the second half, you get a quick stop, your offense doesn't go anywhere, but then you get the break you're looking for when Alex Erickson muffs the punt. Diamante Thomas recovers, and then you pounce. I think that was the thing today. When the Broncos had opportunities, they didn't squander them. They maximized them, scoring two plays after the muffed punt recovery by Diamante Thomas. And also, the thing I loved about that, Ryan, was Case Keenum sees Dre Kirkpatrick out. He sees Darius Phillips in at that cornerback two spot and has Cortland Sutton on him and says, I am going right at where their weakest boom touchdown took it to two scores. And then the other drive capitalizing off of Justin Simmons interception in the red zone of a lollipop lob throw, turning that into a touchdown. It was just the Broncos when they had a window, they pounced 
they didn't, you know, there were some times that they didn't look good on offense, that they didn't look effective, but when they needed to deliver most, they did. Yep, and that that's exactly right. And like I said, it, it just took a little bit of time, but I think that what you you see with the Broncos and what they they need to believe out of this is there's there's multiple paths to victory for them. That it doesn't have to be uh, the offense getting off to a certain start or the defense getting four tur- takeaways in any game. Yeah, they won the takeover battle today, the turnover battle, and, and they should. I mean, again, the Cincinnati Bengals uh, are playing with a backup quarterback. They're playing with a completely different left tackle. There should have been opportunities today for the Broncos to get some turnovers but you know in the end the Broncos offense they did what they needed to do we we talked about it going into the season look this team can average right around 24 points per game for offense the defense should be able to take care of the rest and and that's that's kind of what I my biggest takeaway is for this they get the touchdown and you and I were texting during the course of the game and I said boy it it feels like like a 10-point lead might be enough now that might not been the case necessarily ended up winning by 14 but I think the point's still there that the the Bengals they just didn't seem maybe they were flat maybe it was because it's a backup quarterback they just didn't seem like they had really enough buzz as a team to to be hanging with the Broncos who were definitely surging so once they got that that first touchdown and you saw how electric Philip Lindsay was running the ball today it just kind of felt like the Broncos needed to just not screw it up and you know Royce Freeman had the fumble that we'll we'll have a chance to talk about that and that that obviously is something that you can't really have uh but but in the end like I said the Broncos uh they out-executed uh, in multiple ways, and they, they got a win that they, they really had to have if they want to keep this thing going. Yeah, you talked about the electricity that Philip Lindsay brought. Of course, a career high in rushing yardage for the rookie, 157 yards on 19 carries, 8.3 yards per attempt. Did a very good job taking advantage, I thought, of the Bengals doing a poor job setting the edge at times in the game. But he had to bring the electricity because there certainly wasn't a lot of electricity in the atmosphere for the game on Sunday. It certainly worked against the Bengals, but I'm not sure there have been more than three or four NFL games that I've been to in my time covering this sport that had less buzz, less energy in the crowd than that one did Sunday. Uh, an announced attendance of 44,392, uh, that's pretty bad. And that's, that's the announced attendance. It looked like far fewer people than that were there. And I'm not saying the Bengals have checked out, but I feel like maybe their fans have checked out. And that, too, worked to the Broncos' advantage because any spark that the Bengals could have tried to generate was not going to be reciprocated uh, by the people in the stands. It was a case, Ryan, of, I thought, a home field disadvantage for the Bengals. Oh, I like that. That's 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 interesting. Uh, I can see that. And you know, I was listening to a little bit of the uh, KOA broadcast with Dave and Rick, and, and they said it was bizarre too. They they kind of felt the same way you did, as though they, they just they're not used to it. And I mean, we're used to a certain. I mean, look, it's not always a college atmosphere when you're going to these games, but it's, it's usually sellouts, and usually there's a certain amount of buzz in the air. And we're talking about an elimination game. The Bengals needed to win this game to keep hope alive, and. A Sure, they were without their starting quarterback, and the offensive line was banged up. But you know what? The Broncos' offensive line's banged up, and they were without.
about their their number one wide receiver. Well, the Broncos traded one of their wide receivers, but the Broncos fans have still stuck by this team. And uh, again, with a, with a similar record, it, it was a bit surprising. It sounded like it on the TV. The radio sounded the same. Um, when when you're trying to the Bengals fans are trying to get loud on third downs for uh, the Broncos. It, I mean, it, it, you you barely could hear it through the TV. You were kind of like. Uh, I don't know what's going on right now. I think they're trying to get loud so that that case can't hear that they can't hear anything. You know, it's, it's stark contrast to what we're watching in the Sunday night football game. You know, when it's third down for the Chargers and you hear the Steelers fans getting loud. I mean, it, I mean, it's pumping. You can hear it through the, your speakers on your TV. It just it, it was just bizarre. It was just bizarre. And you're right. I think home field disadvantage uh, because really there's there just no electricity for the Bengals to sort of ride. And usually you rely on that as a home team. You rely, hey, things are going well but our crowd still has our back you just didn't get that vibe today even through the tv yeah there was one moment that the Bengals, it turned out had i thought to get any kind of buzz get the crowd in their favor turn it into a home field advantage and it was at the end of the first half when they drive into first and goal at the seven you have a 22 yard pass to, to boyd you have a run by Joe Mixon for 14 yards. You have an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on Isaac Yadam. All those things get the Bengals in goal to go. And I look down at the field and the stands beyond them, and I see fans standing up and getting enthusiastic. But then right after that, Jeff Driscoll with an intentional grounding penalty on first and goal. Bengals back to the 17. They can't go anywhere. They settle for a field goal. And that was the one moment I felt like they had some hope, and it evaporated so quickly. And that was also something that was a trend of the game. I'm not denigrating the Broncos. They played well. They did what they had to do, certainly despite some adverse circumstances injury-wise. But the Bengals, in terms of penalties and shooting themselves in the foot, did the kind of things to themselves that the Broncos did to themselves during that 3-6 and six start. Yep. I, I think that's perfectly that's a perfect way to describe how the they looked they looked like a team you know it almost reminded me a little bit of how the Broncos looked last year during their eight game losing streak where it just simply wasn't enough you know no matter what they were trying to do uh, the the opponent that they're playing too too many mistakes uh, just just not enough firepower. Uh, it, it, it's very that's an interesting observation. So, so for the you know for the Bengals, uh, their their season is done. Uh, Marvin Lewis uh, continues to be on the hot seat. Uh, you you wouldn't I wouldn't have been surprised if if you heard anything today about his job. But I mean, as you've pointed out multiple times, it's, it's not really the way that ownership tends to function. Um, but uh, you know, for the Broncos, uh, that you know they they kind of move on from Cincinnati. They uh, they didn't play a perfect game and. You know, really, I mean, other than, say, the Arizona game, and I know Case Keenum had an interception in that game, that's about the closest they've played a perfect game. And, and you know, that, there's some encouragement there as far as I'm concerned. You're, you're thinking about what this team could do down the stretch if they could put together, you know, if they're trending in the direction where eventually they will start firing on all cylinders and they'll, they'll put together these complete games. I mean, what, what does that look like? And and I'm I'm kind of curious to see uh, if they even know what what that could really look like. And and maybe it, they're saving it for that Chargers game. Who knows? But uh, they they still have not played that com- complete game. Case Keenum was clean today. 
good stuff there. But he only passed for what 145, 151 yards. That that that's that's okay in this game. That's not going to be good enough ultimately down the stretch. Yeah, buck fifty one on twelve of twenty one passing. One touchdown, no picks, sacked twice for eight yards and losses, 95.5 efficiency rating. This game, the Broncos had 23 pass plays, 34 run plays. And it was the right balance for this particular game. Lindsey with 19 carries, Royce Freeman with 12 attempts, 48 yards, and the fumble. This, it wasn't just that the Broncos were trying to get in just get in, get out, go home. You also, in Keenum's defense, had a very tricky win to work with. We saw the impact that it had on Brandon McManus's field goal attempt. It was a difficult day to throw. And for a quarterback like Case Keenum, who is not blessed with, say, the type of cannon arm that, a, for example, a Josh Allen has, the wind is going to have a little bit more of an impact because if the spiral is not as tight, the wind is going to take it up. And I think it affected Case Keenum at times. He did a good job to complete some key passes when he had the opportunity. But in Keenum's defense, today was not a day that was conducive to throwing the ball. It was a day that you had to focus on the ground. And even the Bengals were probably more effective on a per-play basis on the ground than they were in the air because the Bengals themselves average 4.8 yards per carry with Joe Mixon averaging 6.8 yards per attempt. It was just one of those days where it was difficult to throw. Yeah, at some some level, I mean, they kind of went away from Mixon, and I understand they were trailing, and I mean, that's that's inevitably the, the problem you have with a backup quarterback that, that isn't going to be able to, to be like Andy Dalton who can catch you up in, in a hurry. But that was a bit surprising. Joe Mixon was was pretty much beasting out there. I mean, again, you know, 6.8. He was getting huge chunks at that 23-yard gainer. I mean, he he was uh, – he had, I think he ended up having uh, at least one – yeah, a couple catches out of the backfield. Uh, he was the guy that was kind of during the course of the week uh, saying, look, I want to put this team on my back. And he, he looked like he was ready to deliver. I, I kind of wondered a, a bit of why they, they went away from him. I know they were trying to mix in Giovanni Bernard, but I mean, he, you know, in his five carries, he clearly wasn't as effective as Joe Mixon. I'm not saying it would have changed the outcome of the game, but for me, that, that was a bit surprising that, uh, you know, it would have been the same kind of thing if we would have been sitting here after this game and said, Hey, um, what a great game, but why are they going away from Philip Lindsay so much? You know, Philip Lindsay would have had 12 carries for 82, averaging 6.8. Um, and again, the backup would have only averaged 2.8. Royce Freeman, a lot of people would have been sort of slamming their heads against the table going, I don't know what this coaching staff needs to do. Uh, in this case, uh, yeah, you were trailing, but going away from Joe Mixon, I, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it either. Now, there's one moment in particular that jumps out to me, and I feel like the Bengals – panicked a little bit. It's early in the fourth quarter. It's 21-10. The team still has a pulse. Mixon has just picked up nine yards on third and four. They're in Broncos territory at the 39. Now, you had a false start penalty. Again, 
something we talked about earlier. The Bengals kept shooting themselves in the foot, and that set them up at first and 15 from the 44. But given the fact that Joe Mixon is averaging north of 6.5 yards every time he touches the football, whether it's on a rush or reception, why not continue to feed him? Instead, it's a short pass to John Ross for two. It's incomplete. And then it was that disastrous uh, play for them on third and 13 where they settled for the screen to Gio Bernard. And Todd Davis, man, to his credit, perfect read, blows up Gio Bernard on, on that play. That's the kind of situation where I look and say, okay, why weren't you sticking with Mixon? Don't. Just because you're in first and 15 doesn't mean you go away from that. And besides, even if you, say, get 12 yards on the three plays and you set up a chance for a field goal, you can still draw it down to one score. I felt like there were moments when the Bengals panicked a bit. It cost them there. And then later on, when there's still eight, nine minutes left in the game, they get the ball back. They've still got a shot. They've got their timeouts. They have an opportunity. Uh, to get to get a drive going and get back in the game. And then that was just an example of Jeff Driscoll kind of holding the ball a little bit too long and Von Miller finally breaking through and getting a sack that I thought really finished them off for good. Yep, uh, absolutely. And uh, Von, Von had a, a big impact sack. Uh, you had Bradley Chubb with a sack strip fumble. He ended up getting the ball as well, uh, somehow bounced around, and, and he ended up getting it, getting it himself. That ended up setting up the... The, the final score of the game, which was 24-10 on that field goal that the Broncos really, uh, the points didn't really matter necessarily. The game the game was over at that point. Uh, but, yeah, the, the Broncos, um, you know, in those back-to-back possessions uh, defensively, you know, getting a, a sack with Vaughn and getting a sack with, with, with Chubb. Again, in the end, the Broncos... They, they dictated this game. I mean, in the end, the, the, what's, what's going to show out is, is the Broncos did what they wanted to do. They didn't need to have a prolific passing game. They did what they wanted to do, running the ball, which, which we, we all know is really where things are at for the Broncos. Is, is, you, you said it perfectly. I mean, you had 23 pass attempts. You had 34 rush attempts. So the Broncos could do that in every single game. They, they take that in a heartbeat because that means they're probably winning by a lot uh, because then they're going to be able to dictate. And this offensive line's built like that anyways. They're not built to, to let Case Keenum drop back 50 times. They're, the Broncos will get killed if they get into those kinds of games. But, it, but in this case, uh, that, that, it, it all kind of – felt as though especially in the third and fourth quarter that there never felt to me like any severe moments of oh boy the Broncos better watch out I think there was um, maybe a moment when I'm trying to think there were there were a couple there's some missed tackles I'm trying to remember at what point in the game there was a missed tackle uh, on a couple of spots where I said okay well you know just just know I think maybe when they scored the touchdown bingo yeah, that might have been the one place. I'm like, okay, well, it's still early enough. That was at 2:45 left in the third, and I thought maybe that might be the moment of like, okay, guys, focus. And of course, they fumbled on the next drive. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that touchdown, the play where Core gets the pass from Driscoll and basically bounces off Bradley Roby, because Bradley Roby all of a sudden becomes one of the three or four most important players on the field for the Broncos. With Chris Harris Jr. down, fibula injury. Chris says if the team gets to the playoffs, he can be ready for that. He's got a lot of faith in himself and his recuperative powers, of course, coming 
off of that ACL that he had back in January of 2014 and being back by week one of the following year. He said he's not going to need surgery. We'll see how that ends up transpiring. But for all the Broncos are doing well, for them to be able to turn this three-game run into a six- or seven-game run that will be necessary in order for them to get to the playoffs, yeah, you're facing three teams coming up here that all have losing records in the 49ers, Browns, and Raiders. But you've still got to be able to cover some receivers, and so there is a lot of weight on Bradley Roby. When Tremaine Brock comes back, there'll be a lot on him, and there's going to be a lot on Isaac Yadam. Those three guys could determine the success or failure of this late-season revival. I think that's that's exactly right, and that's that's very fair. And uh, Bradley Roby is th- this is a this is a fascinating position for Bradley Roby because uh, he gets the opportunity to show he can be a one, if not a two, uh, where we've been more or less calling him a three all season. And I, I mean, I, I want him I want him to believe he can be that because I think we all believe he has the athleticism to be as good as he as he can be. I, I think sometimes like today with that touchdown pass to core, he, he 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 took a bad angle. That was all technique on his on his side. Uh, that that kind of stuff just can't happen. That's what doesn't happen with Chris Harris. And, and that was, that's what makes him a guy that's a one or a tremendously really good number two next to another one. Um, but, but Chris Harris has that potential and that ability, whereas Bradley Roby uh, oftentimes seems to, to let – and, and he's, he's done this since college – sometimes lets his athleticism get the better of him, thinking, well, I'm athletic enough to really do pretty much whatever I want, where you know, you'd think spending so much time around Akeem Tlaib and Chris Harris, who are so crazy about film – and are are always preaching technique. You'd think that that would be kind of his mantra as well. But today, you know, seeing the way that that touchdown played out, I think it's one touchdown in a game that they they blew out the Bengals. But it's kind of indicative of him, and he's going to have to find another level. That, that there's no other way around it. Yeah, and I think you said perfectly. It's an opportunity for him. He can change the entire narrative on his future over the next few weeks, but you know that teams are going to test him. You're going to see some good receivers. I mean, even the Raiders in Week 16, they were going against the Chiefs who have a shaky defense, but they still were lighting it up today with some downfield throws, and they were moving the ball effectively. So there's going to be tests coming for Bradley Roby. You certainly hope he can pass him, but he can completely reverse the narrative, reverse the trends that are out there on him right now with a few good weeks. Also got to give a tip of the cap, and we'll discuss him more on first and 10 10 on Orange and Blue 760 on Monday, to Justin Simmons. And he did have some rough moments early when he had to move to the slot in the wake of Chris Harris Jr.'s injury, but did a good job reading the flight of the ball and the interception. He actually told me after the game, we're going to play this interview here in just a couple of minutes, he thought he had too much time to field the ball. And sometimes that can be the case. The ball hangs up there forever, and it's like you're thinking or you're worried that someone might come and collide with you and prevent you from the pick. But good job by him to kind of play that center field, get in position, make the play on the ball. For now, Justin Simmons, if he's going to be the slot corner, he's going to basically have to learn two positions. But as he told me later, as he told me in the interview, we'll play just in a little bit. doesn't phase him at all. Well, he's he's always. 
always had that mentality. He's playing 100% of the snaps. Uh, he's, he's he's the guy that, that hasn't had any issue whatsoever of the Broncos leaning on him. Now, he hasn't always made the best choices out there, and we've covered that, of course, throughout the course of the season. But, again, you know, you're, you're talking about what a, what a significant ramp up for this young man, you know, for last year where TJ Ward was released shortly before the end of the season or end of preseason and all of a sudden he was thrust into a starter's role and, and then to now where he's he's playing not only hundred percent of the snaps, but now he's kind of the slot corner the uh I mean he he's he's kind of the nickel guy now. And so I mean really uh, the Broncos kind of have to do it this way. There, there really may not be other options. Tremaine Brock might be available uh, coming back here uh, on the other side, but even then, they're they're going to need multiple options there. And uh, to have a guy that's that versatile that can play really, really most uh, a mostly consistent style of football for the Broncos uh, can only mean good things. But then again, that also means that other safeties are going to have to continue to step up and they're going to have to remain healthy there too, because, because he was being relied as a safety too. So uh, that, that's a lot to, that's a lot to ask him, but I, I think he's more than ready for it. I think he is too. And he's going to be a big part of determining whether the Broncos can turn this little run into something significant. Ryan, appreciate your time. We'll talk more Monday, please join us first in 10-10 on Orange and Blue 760, 10 to 1, and Steve Atwater is going to join in the conversation. But first, let's talk to Justin Simmons, the conversation that I had with him in the locker room after the game about his interception, about his role at slot corner, what's next. Give that a listen. Not that any interception is easy, but you feel like you had a lot of time there. I thought it was too much time. I was uncomfortable. Uh... For a minute, I thought I was going to throw my hand up and just, you know, fair catch it. But, uh, yeah, it was a lot of time. It was a lot of time. The ball hung up in the air. I think he felt pressure and kind of just threw it off his back foot. I know the tight end was open. So, um, yeah, just go up and make a play. Playing slot corner today with Chris down, how do you think that went for you? Um, it went it went well. Um, obviously, you know, it did well enough to get the win. Um, I think there are obviously a lot of things. Uh, you know, I can improve on, especially in the slot. And um, but that's, you know, that's something that we've uh, prepared for all week. You know, if one guy goes down, it's next man up, and you got to be able to rotate. And um, you know, very unfortunate what happened to Chris, and um, obviously a leader in our back end. And so, it's tough. How much will that change things for you preparation-wise if you've got to do that over the next few weeks? Um, it'll change things up. Obviously, you know, we're talking about you know our best our best corner cover corner going down. Uh, you know, and so. We got to be able to adjust, but like I said, you know, we we got um, the utmost faith in you know not not only Roe but guys that you know like uh, B Lang and Ike, and so um, you know we're excited. You know, we're excited. We we know what we have in front of us, and we got to be able to do next man up. Is it basically like learning two positions though for a game? You got to play safety and base, slot corner, and so. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's like it's it's learning any different. It's just uh, you know I, I have to have a different mindset at both positions. You know, at safety. I can do a little bit more reading and kind of read and react. You know, at nickel, I got to be able to be on top because I'm that much closer to the line. I got to be able to get my drops. And now I'm in a position where I'm helping the safety out, you know. And so um, everything changes. And, uh, you know, it, it takes uh, takes a lot of, you know, mental fortitude to just be able to lock in every play, playing different positions. But, uh, you know, it worked out. And I'm, you know, proud of the guys on the team for having my back in that. Thanks, of course, to Ryan. And thanks to Justin Simmons for joining me in the locker room after the game. We'll talk to you Monday at 10 a.m. on Orange and Blue 760. And, of course, we'll have podcasts and more throughout the week in the Broncos Audio Zone. Until next time, Sandra Mason saying take care. Thanks for listening.
This has been another edition of Horsin' Around with Broncos insider Andrew Mason. Check out Mace on DenverBroncos.com and weekday mornings at 10 with Steve Atwater and Ryan Edwards. That's how we get it done. We'll see you next time on Horsin' Around.